listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. some here are new to Christ. We know some are old in Christ, men have been saved a long time. But the problem most of us, if not many of us have, is we're saved, but we really don't know much about our salvation. We don't know everything that God has made available for us. And this course, we can only cover so much in four weeks, but this course is just a skeleton that can help you to give you the tools of not only understanding and knowledge for yourself, but hopefully help you to be able to share your witness, your faith, the gospel with other people and tell them, about the greatness of God. So it's going to be a four-week course. We're going to be taking a break for Thanksgiving, coming back the first Wednesday of Thanksgiving. But it's a four-week course designed to take you through the fundamentals of Christianity. And these books are yours. And the first thing we need to do is write your name on the front of the book. Because if you haven't realized, everyone else has got a book like yours. So write your name on the book. These books are available or will be available on our website through PDF too. So you can download it to your phones and just everything too. But every week we're asking you, bring your book back. Have it here with you so we can learn together. And again, it's your book. So write all over it. Just take notes all over it. Do all those kind of things. Can anyone see mine? Look, that's mine. Look, notes everywhere. Just tearing it up. So, so just do that and, and just be a part of what God is doing. Put your hand on your heart and let's pray as we get ready tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, speak into our hearts. Speak into our lives. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Shout amen. amen. So does Christianity 101. This study is to help a believer grow in their knowledge of Christ and what he has purposed for them. John 8 verse 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, shall set you free. The thought is this, the truth you know is the truth that's going to set you free. No truth, no freedom. So it's so important that we understand the truth. So we're going to take you on a journey through what we've called basic Christian fundamentals that will help you to establish your, say with me, identity. Your identity in Christ. Because we need to know that. You need to know who you are in Christ, not who you are based upon your feelings. Because a lot of times, I'll just be honest with you right now, I don't always feel saved. Monday morning you wake up and you're in a funk after the weekend. You're all right, you've got to go to work, you've got to do things. You just don't feel saved sometimes. And you just kind of feel burdened down. But I'm so glad the Christian experience is not to be based upon my feelings. It's great to have feelings, don't get me wrong, but it's not limited to those. My Christian experience is based upon the fact of knowing who I am in Christ Jesus. And a lot of people struggle with that today because people look for their identity in so many other Places. And that's the reason why so many people are broken. Their lives are wrecked because they're looking for their identity in people. They're looking for their identity in their career. They're looking for identity in education, in money, and in relationships. That's a massive one. I hear this all the time. Well, you know what? If I could just find the right person, my life would be complete. That's true. The right person, when you find Jesus, your life would be complete. Because anyone else is not your number one. They're your number two. Because God has to be first in your life, and that's the priority that you have. But someone, we're looking to find ourselves. No, we find ourselves through Christ. Because education, career, people, relationships, money, what are all those things? All those things are temporary. They're they're, they're not here forever. They're not eternal. That means from one moment to the next, they can change. You can lose your job tomorrow, God forbid. 
Come on, things can happen. You could get a bad report tomorrow that you're not well and the doctors, God forbid. But these things that we can base our identity on can be so temporal. And that's why our lives can be spun into a crisis when we're basing our lives upon them instead of who I am in Christ. I want to know who I am in Christ. Come on, I said, I need to know. Can I give you a little eye-opener to who you are in Christ? You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are the lender and the borrower. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. You look peculiar. You look peculiar. But peculiar, he means you're special. The thought of peculiar is that he's put a hedge of protection all around you. That's how much God loves you. So we want your identity in Christ. And the Bible clearly states that we're not to be ignorant to Satan's devices. Come on, we're not to be ignorant to Satan's devices and his schemes. That's that scripture there, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we're not to be ignorant to his devices. And the only way to avoid ignorance is to gain knowledge and understanding of God's word. And his word is the standard. His word is the absolute truth. The study of God's word will help us grow in wisdom. So I want to read a scripture. It's right there in front of you. Matthew 13, verse 3 through 9. And it's the story of the parable of the sower. I know... Pastor Terry taught this very well a few weeks ago. It says this, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell upon the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. Verse 6, But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. And some seed fell amongst the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Verse 9, he who has ears, check out your neighbor, do they have ears? Do you have ears? In other words, God is saying, everyone right now, you need to listen to what has been said. Jesus is saying, no one's excluded from this. If you've got ears, you need to listen. Notice the ratio, two to one. Two ears, one mouth. You need to do twice as much listening as you do talking. Come on, right now. So what do we know from this story? We know that the sower is God. God is the sower. In this story, God is the sower. The seed is what? The seed is the word of God that goes out to every one of us And the soil or the ground is what? It's the life of the believer. Literally, it's the state of our heart. The state of our life. And what we're actually going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to jump to the part of the story that is labeled as the explanation of the parable. We're going to look at verse 18 through 23 because the disciples who had walked with Jesus didn't understand it all. Help us understand it. And Jesus said, let me explain it to you. Let me break it down to you. So we're going to break it down, the importance of understanding the different types of soil, the different states of our heart that will what? Make us non-receptive to truly receive everything that God has because we've got to be the good soil that's producing a harvest of some 100, some 60, and some 30. So what we see in this story here is there's four different types of soil. The first one is labeled as the wayside. Then there's the stony soil. Then there's the thorny soil. And then there is the good soil. Soil. So let's start tonight by looking at the first one that Jesus explains. Matthew 3, um, 13, verse 4 again. And he sowed some seed and it fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. The wayside was literally a footpath or a road. In Bible days, they were instructed because they didn't have a road structure like us. They had to leave a certain part of the edge of the field accessible so people could walk upon that. No crops was to be planted on that. It was just hard, trodden down soil for people to 
pass along. So what is the explanation? Help us. What is the wayside when it comes to our life? Verse 18 and 19. Therefore, Jesus says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart because this is he who receives the seed on the wayside. New Living Translation says it like this, the seed that falls on the hard path represents those who hear the good news about the kingdom, but they don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and he snatches the seed away from their hearts. So I think Jesus is clearly telling us, We've got to understand some things. We've got to know some things. We've got to have a comprehension and a knowledge that the seed that is sown into our lives is not going to be snatched, it's not going to be taken, and it's not going to be stolen away. So I think it's important for us to understand from the beginning, who is God? What is His plan for mankind? What happens as the result of sin? How does He solve that problem. We're going to go on a journey tonight of understanding. So let's start with who is God? Isn't it amazing how many misconceptions there are of God? And we can say, well, I can't believe people think of God like that. But the problem is we fall victim, or what shall I say, we partake in that too because of our actions and words. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So when people see how we act and how we live, there's no wonder there are so many misconceptions of God because we're not representing Him in the right way. So what do we know of God, first and foremost? We see that God is the creator of everything. Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not a big bang. Not an explosion. It's amazing to me. I've never seen an explosion put anything together. But people believe that there was this explosion and all of a sudden everything came together. The only way an explosion ever puts something together is if you watch it on a DVD player and you just rewind it. That's the only way you're going to see it. Other than that, it just causes destruction. And to be honest with you, it takes more faith to believe an explosion put this world together than it does a God put this world together. Because it's so much more sense when we understand the heart and the life of God. What else do we know about God? God is all power. Say powerful. Say with me omnipotent. That's what that means, omnipotent. I've actually got the wrong scripture there. Exodus 6 verse 3. It really should be Genesis 18 verse 14. So I apologize for that. Genesis 18 verse 14. The scripture says this. Is there anything too hard for God? Or in other words, for with God... Nothing is impossible. This is in reference to Abraham and Sarah to have a child. She's 90 years of age. He's 100 and kicking it. And, and, and the Bible says, or the, the angels say, you're going to have a child. Sarah laughs. I think I would laugh too if I was 90. I think I would cry probably more than laugh. I think I'd have a heart attack and die or something like that. But she laughs. The angel says, why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't. Is there anything too hard? God. What a lesson for every one of us. Every area of our life, God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. In other words, God is completely able. Completely able. Why? Because God has no equal. God doesn't even have a close second. He is so far above everyone else. So what do we know about God? He's a creator and He is all powerful. He is able to do anything. What else do we know about God? This can be quite a scary thought right here. He is all-knowing. Omniscient. That's what that is. He is all-knowing. You know, the Bible says that he knows my thoughts before I even think them. Pretty powerful. God is great. But look what it says there in Psalms 147, 15. It says, Great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding is what? Infinite. Infinite. But you know, we talk about God knows our thoughts before we think them. But you know what else we know? God knows the things that we 
have need of, the Bible says. That's Matthew 6, verse 8. He knows what we have need of before we even ask. In other words, before we even know it's a need for us, God already has provided a way for us. Aren't you glad that he's all-knowing? It's kind of scary in the thought that he knows everything about us. But thinking about it this way, he knows everything about me, but he still chooses to love me. Wow. 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 Knows everything that people don't know. What's the next thing we know about God? God is omnipresent. It means he is everywhere present. I've got to add this. Satan is not. Satan is a created being, and as a created being, he cannot be in two places at once. He's just got demons, he's got other spirits and powers, and he's got other church people to do the work for him. You know what I'm talking about? And and that's unfortunate, but it's true. But God has the ability to be as much God in me as he is in Pete, as he is in Kristen, as he is in Miss D, with every one of us, without diluting his power, without taking from him. He is everything that we could ever need for every one of us. Why? Because he is omnipresent. David says this in Psalms 139. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Can I flee? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I'm somewhere in between, come on. He says, you are going to be there. And look how God wants to be there. Your hand is there to hold me. Look at that. And to lead me. Your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Here's another thought about God. God always was, he always is, and he always will be. You see, when we try to wrap our finite mind around an infinite God, we have a problem. Because if we were to think right now that one day when we get to heaven, the Bible says we will live forever and ever and ever and ever and never die. Try and get your mind around that. You can't. Because you get to the end of your mind really quick. Because you cannot grasp that. And that's why from the beginning we see that the way we grasp God is not with our mind, but it's with our heart. It's not with our knowledge, it's with understanding. And there's a big difference. Because we can have knowledge of knowing things, but understanding is taking what we know and putting it to place and putting it to work. So it has to be a heart response. It has to be faith that we know God. But God always was and always is. He says in Revelations 1 verse 8, He says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning and the end. I've had so many people say to me, well, who created God? God. Well, when? A long time ago. God created. And in fact, really, to be honest with you, if we can believe Genesis 1 verse 1, there's no reason we can't believe the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. If we can believe that, and we should believe that, then anything and everything else after that, we should have no problem believing and trusting in God. Is this okay tonight? Look at this. God is holy. God is holy. Holy means he's incapable of doing wrong. There is not an ounce of impurity in him. He is fully righteous. Even if God wants to do wrong, he cannot because he is a holy God. He is unable to do wrong. Wrong. It says, exalt the Lord our God, Psalms 99.9, and worship him on his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Holy. What else do we know about God? God is good. Come on, that's really an understatement, isn't it? But God is good. He is a good God. He's a good God. Psalms 100, 100 verse 5, his mercy is everlasting, his in truth endureth for all generations, for the Lord is good, it starts, and his mercy. Come on, God is good, really good, really awesome. What else do we know about God? Are you ready? God is love. God is love. First John four sixteen, And we know and believe the love that God has for us because God is love. You cannot separate God from love because love is God and God is love. Love is not what he does. Love is who he is. And listen to me. God doesn't love you based upon your performance. God loves you based upon his character. Think about that. Who he is is why he chooses to love you. There is nothing you can do that can stop God from loving you. Oh, you can turn your heart off to his love, but his love is still going to be right there for you. It doesn't stop his love being poured out towards you. You can choose not to accept it, but it's still there.
for every one of us. So God is love. What else is God? God is hope. I love that. I love that. Romans 13, uh, 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Come on, plans for a future, plans for a hope to further your life, to better your life. That's the hope that we have in God, a God that knows our future, and it's a good future in God. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's good in God. Come on. God is a giver. God is a giver. And he's not just a giver, he's a giver of good and perfect gifts. God gives good things. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is where? From God. It's from God. It's from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God doesn't give us sickness. He allows it, but he doesn't give it. Come on, God doesn't give diseases. God doesn't give problems. How do we know that? Because every good and perfect thing comes from God. And you've got to hear that today. So if it's not coming from God, where's it coming from? The other one. We know who that is. Okay, so Satan is out to destroy the life that God wants every one of us to have. So we see who God is and we need to understand that. So the next stage that we're looking at is this. What was his plan for mankind? Why did he create man? What was his purpose in creating man? And I believe we see the purpose of God in the first point right here. Listen, we were created in the image and likeness of God. Why did God create us? Why did he create something in his image to hang out with? Come on, to love, to have fellowship with, to be a part of. That's what God did. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, that they would be over the birds of the air, the cattle, and so on. Why? God created man in his likeness to carry out his work here on earth. Do you realize that's why you are the greatest target on the face of the earth that Satan is after? Because he cannot touch God. He already tried. I said, Satan already tried to touch God, and that didn't end really well for him. He was kicked out of heaven. He was dethroned from his position, and he's been roaming through the earth, destroying the plan and purpose of God ever since. So if he cannot touch God, what does he touch? The next closest thing to God. What is that? You and I that God made in his image and his likeness. So when Satan looks at us, he sees God, but he sees a God that he can mess with and attack because we're not God. Anyone with me on that? We're not God. We're in his image and likeness, but we're not God. But he comes against us to try to destroy us because if he cannot touch God, he wants to touch the closest thing to the heart of God and to destroy the image of God here on this earth. What else do we know? What was God's plan? Everything is significant to God. When he created man, he didn't make anything by chance. Everything was perfectly thought out. Everything was put in place. You see it in Psalms 139. When I was in my mother's womb, you carefully knit me together. You fashioned me. You formed me. My days yet not having any. All those days you knew for me. You planned. You prepared. You were meticulous in the design that you had for me. Come on, look at your hand right now. You have five fingers looking at you or four and a thumb. No one else bears the imprint or the fingerprint of what you carry. You are so significant. God thought you out to the nth degree. Everything about you is you. You are so significant to him. God could have easily made cookie cutters and every one of us look the same. I mean, why do we need different fingerprints? I mean, yeah, we can say, well, it's great now if you're going to do a crime. But why do we need? We shouldn't have to have that. Why not have everything the same? I'm just amazed Christmas time come up. You don't often have snow here. But why would God make every snowflake to be different? Because that's just God. God can do what he wants to do because God can show off at some times. And God showed off when he made you. He, you are so significant for him. No accidents in God. Oh, we make accidents, but there's no accidents in God. Come on now. Every life is not an accident. It's a purpose that God wants to use. Not a mistake, 
a purpose that God can use. What do we know? He created us to be in relationship with Him. When you read the last part, he says, He made us a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned Him with glory and honor. You have made Him to have dominion. You have put all things under His feet. We see all these kind of things, but we see that God made us to have relationship and fellowship. God would come and walk in the cool of the day, not with the elephants and the giraffes and the hippos. God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. His prized possession to have relationship with Him. Verse 3, verse 8, And they heard God walk in the garden in the cool of day. How awesome. What else do we know about His plan for mankind? Mankind was created to have the power of choice. A lot of people have mislabeled this to say that God is not loving because of the sins and the failures and the problems that are happening in this world. But I want you to see something that shows that God is loving. Why? Because He doesn't force Himself upon anyone. He makes it available for every one of us. But he could have created us as robots that all we could do is live for him and serve him. And we could say, oh, that would make my life. No, if we lived like that, we would be complaining about something else. But God showed so much love for every one of us. He said, I love you so much, I'm going to give you the power to choose what is right and what is wrong. What does he say? I call heaven and earth as a witness. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. The choice is ours to make. You choose. And the last thing that we see about man was this. Do you realize man was created originally to be eternal? When we talk about eternal, we mean physically, in our physical state. God created mankind to live forever. The doctors researchers say even right now that they don't understand why the human body gets old because every seven years your body completely replenishes itself, renews every cell, every part of it and they're still scratching their heads and the only reason why man is not eternal now is because of sin. Sin destroys that which God set in place. So what do we see talking about sin? We've got an incredible plan. How many likes the plan that God had for mankind? Good stuff there. But it didn't take long for Satan to come in. And it proceeded in to destroy and disrupt. That's what Satan's always trying to do, to stop and disrupt the plan of God. But I want you to know something. He can never stop, so all he tries to do is disrupt. He still is trying to disrupt every one of us today. He was sent out of heaven for stealing praise. Now what is he trying to do for every one of us? Steal our praise from God steal our relationship from God. So what do we know of man? Man was originally given everything to enjoy except one thing. And with that one thing, man chose to rebel. You can read the passage when you get how Satan comes up and he makes man question, did God really say that you can eat of every tree? What was his point in saying that? He was trying to get their focus and their attention on the one thing that they couldn't have instead of seeing everything that they could. Satan wants to focus your life on your limitations. You need to start seeing the freedoms of what you have available in Christ. Because those things that we don't need to have in our life, they are nothing compared to everything that God has available. But that's what he does. He makes us say, oh, it's boring, it's limited. He tries to disrupt that plan, and that's what he sees. He caused confusion to come in. And because of that, what happens? Their sinful choice separated them from God and resulted in both now a physical and now a spiritual death. That man was to die lost unless they had a redeemer and a savior. Man who was made to be eternal would now have to die. Why? Because of the penalty of sin. And if you read that passage from Genesis 3, 16 through 24, what you see is God pronouncing man's judgment upon him, what he would have to do, toil with the sweat of the ground. One of the curses that was put upon a woman was that she was going to have to birth with labor and pain from now onwards. Just think God created woman, just all of a sudden, plump, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there. No pain, no suffering, just right there. But part of that, why? Because again, anything that Satan disrupts, 
He turns that which is perfect into something that is painful, hurtful. Can you see just the plan that he has? And then it goes on right at the end after the judgment. The result is this, the last words. It says, therefore God sent him out of the garden to till the ground and he drove out man and placed cherubim at the east side of the garden and a flaming sword which turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Notice why God did this. He did it again out of love. Because man in a sinful state, if he would have eaten from the tree of life, he would have lived forever and never had a chance of redemption. He would have been lost forever. But God says, you're not going to eat of that tree of life. One day we're going to eat of that tree of life, and you know where we're going to eat of it? In heaven, so we're going to live forever. But now God has protected man from doing that, so we won't live in a fallen state. And we can see what happens. I don't want to jump ahead and give away the end of the story, but I think you already know it anyway. But what do we see? Now mankind, created to be in union with God, now has a problem. And that problem is sin. What is sin? A separating factor. A separating factor. The one that man has no solution to. You cannot solve the problem of sin. You and I could not solve. If we could solve the problem for sin, we would not need a savior. Christ would not have had to die for us. So what do we see? Now Satan's having a ball because he thinks he succeeded. He thinks he's won because sin has entered the world. So what does sin do? What effect did sin have on mankind? What effect took place? Well, here's the results. As a result now, every one of us are now born into sin. We possess a sin Nature. What's the first words most children say? No. That's that sin nature inside of every one of you. You don't have to teach a child to lie. They'll do a good enough job on their own without you. Why? Because it's in them. It's more in them, unfortunately, to do wrong than it is right. You find yourself having to correct all the time because that's that nature. You see that. And we can see it in children, but we need to see it in ourselves too. We need to see that constant battle. We have all missed the mark. As a result of now being born in sin, we're all born a sinner. And that means that we have completely missed the mark. What is the scripture there? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to know something. We don't just fall short. We are so far short. It's not even funny. We are so far away from touching the mark because that's what sin wants to do. Separate us so far away from a loving Savior who wants to be in relationship with us. And that's what it says. Sin's result is it wants us to have death and separation from God in hell. Again, not God's desire, not God's design, but what Satan tried to disrupt and cause to happen. What does it say? The first part of Revelations um, 20, 10 through the devil who's deceived them. And the last part, it says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. Satan came to deceive and to bring no hope to this world. He wanted everyone to be in death and in separation from God. So what else do we see with all this going on? God has a problem with this. Because the problem that God has is this. He's a righteous judge and therefore he has to punish sin. God cannot excuse sin. Exodus 34 verse 7. It says, I will by no means clear the guilty. Guilty. You see, God is loving, but he's also righteous. Loving wants to excuse, but that righteous judge, he cannot excuse wrong because a penalty has to be paid for that wrong that crime that we have committed. The penalty of sin, that's the next part, must be paid. Our sin debt that we owe has to be paid. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what? Now we have a choice. We can either live our lives independent from God and pay for our own sin, Or we can live our lives dependent upon God and believe that He has made the payment for our 
sins. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men that we might be saved. I can't save myself. In fact, I made a mess of my life. But God made a way for every one of us to be saved. So even though sin had such a detrimental, destroying effect upon us, through one decision, that effect can be completely turned around. So what? We have a choice to either reject Jesus or we have a choice to accept Jesus. What will you do? Will you accept or will you reject? It's your choice. So who is this Jesus? Okay, We talked about God and mankind. We talked about the fall and sin. And you've been mentioning this Jesus. Who is this Jesus Christ? It's amazing if you would look at other religions, such as the New Age religions. They have a Jesus too. Do you know that? But it's not the same Jesus that we sing about. It's not the same Jesus that we worship. It's a counterfeit. Why? Because they want to cause confusion. They want people to believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was a good... No, Jesus wasn't a prophet and a good man. Come on, he was the son and is the son of God who gave up all the splendor and the power of heaven and became a man like us so he could feel our pain, so he could redeem us and he could connect us back to the Father. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11.4 that they preach another Jesus. Come on, in Galatians 1 verse 6, it says there's a different gospel. We've got to watch because not everything that confesses to be Christ is of Christ, is Christ. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. For God so loved the world, He gave heaven's best. For you and I, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave the best for every one of us, despite the fact that we did not deserve it. And we do not deserve it, but God never withheld the best. He made the best available for us. Who is Jesus? He is fully God, yet he is fully man. We see this in, one, in John 1 verse 1 and John 1 verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, capitalized, Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, came and dwelt amongst us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the Father, begotten, full of grace and truth. Jesus could not come and redeem us as God. He had to come and redeem us as man. Because he had to pay the penalty of sin by becoming like us. And a lot of people have said that he became our sin. He did not become sin for us. He took our sin and took the place for us. Jesus did not die a sinner and go to hell where he got saved and then he turned around. He could not die. He had to die a spotless sacrifice for every one of us. He had no sin, lived a perfect life for every one of us. And he did that as a man. He did that empowered by God, but he did not do that as God. What do we see from the very beginning? I don't want to stay here too long, but what do we see? That when Jesus was beginning his ministry, he went into the wilderness. Satan tempted him with what? If you are who you say you are, if you are really God, is what Satan was saying, then here's what you need to do. Turn these stones to bread. If Jesus would have done those things as God and acted as God, he would have thwarted the plan of him being able to be here to die for every one of us. And that's what Satan wanted to do. Satan wanted to tempt him. Even on the cross, you see the words they said, if you are who you say you are, come down from that cross and we'll believe in you. Try and once again from the beginning and throughout the whole course of his life and right then at the end for him to say, yeah, I'm God. But no, he didn't do that. He came as a man, he lived as a man, and he died as a man for each and every one of us, so he could be our substitute and pay the price for us. What do we know of Jesus? He is the only Savior of the world. He's the only one who gave his life for every one of us. That's not what we're told today. We're told that there's two Gospels today. There's God and I. If you want to know the relation, the, all the religions today, we could list down hundreds of different religions. No, there's really two. There's God and I. Right. 
because it's either I do this and I place my hope in this and faith in this or I place it in God. That's the only we have. And God is the saviour that he wants us to place our lives into. What else is God? He's the giver of life. The thief does not come to except to steal, kill and destroy. That's the devil. But God says, I have come. Jesus said, this is the reason I have come. The reason he came is to give you life and not a mere existence, but God came to give you a life of abundance. Satan wants to steal, kill and destroy. God wants to give life, abundance of life, fullness of life. So sin came, but thank God he had a solution. Thank God he had a solution. He had a way to solve the problem that man had created for the rest of mankind. And God wasn't scratching his head and saying, what shall I do? God already foreknew that man was going to fall and sin and he already made way and already had in place, what? A solution for mankind. God ordained that the shedding of innocent blood could pay the penalty for sin. Innocent blood was only that that could pay the penalty for sin. What do we see in the Old Testament? We're not going to stay here long. But in the Old Testament, before Christ came, the only way that they could have restitution, they could have forgiveness, freedom from their sin was they were to bring a sacrifice and they were to offer it. But what do we know about that? All that did was cover their sin. All it did was to cover the sin. And every year they had to go through the same thing over and over and over. Repeating a ceremony constantly over and over again. And you can read that. That's the old covenant. That's the old testament. That's the old way. But Jesus came. Remember when we take communion? He said, this is my blood. This is a new covenant. This is a new beginning. This is a new hope that we have. Why? Because what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He doesn't just cover our sins anymore. He has removed our sins. We need to watch the conversation we have with God because when we're talking about the sins of our life God's clueless with what's going on come on if we've asked forgiveness God doesn't know those things anymore because he says I've removed them as far as the east is from the west I've thrown them into a sea of forgetfulness that I will remind myself of them no more and he's posted a sign that says no fishing come on we're the ones that bring up those things where God says I don't know because I've forgiven you from those things because I haven't just covered them God says I've wiped the slate clean Jesus became our perfect sacrifice perfect he gave himself for us and offered us as a sacrifice for God that which was pleasing a sweet smelling aroma to God you see Jesus is was will always be God's solution for our problem of sin but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners lost in sin Christ died for us that we can be free So his death and resurrection totally destroyed Satan's dominion and works that he had upon each one of our lives. You see, tonight, no good works, no good morals, education, nor religion can bridge the gap that sin created between man and God. A sin gap that was created. But Jesus came to bridge the gap and make it once again possible for man to reach God. Think about a picture of the cross if you were to see it, if we were to look at it right now. Look at the picture of the cross. What does it do? It stretches from heaven to earth. And where does it go? To there to there. What a picture of the cross that heaven came down to earth for the whosoever from the left to the right that it touches everyone who will accept it and receive it. So what do we do? What do we do? It's not as hard as people make it. It's not as hard as we think. What must we do? We must believe in Jesus Christ. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And God's promise is this too, also for your household. As a parent, I can't save my kids, but I'm standing on the promise 
that my household is going to be saved because I'm going to teach my children to live a godly life and I'm going to train them in the right way. So we've got to believe in Jesus. We've got to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and to cleanse us. Cleanse us. What else do we do? We turn from our wicked ways. That's what it means to repent. The word repentance means to turn and go in the opposite direction. We've got to turn from our sin. Then we accept and receive Him as the Lord of our lives. The last part of that verse that says, There is salvation no, in no other name under heaven given by men. There's only one name, the name of Jesus, that we may be saved in that. So how do I become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? Romans 10 verse 9. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how easy it is. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I will be saved. I will be saved. Almost done tonight. I know this is a lot of information and that's why we've given it to you. That's why we've listed down the scriptures. That's why we're encouraging you to take notes. This is going to be on the podcast. You probably need to listen to this message again just to let it really sink in. But listen, what happens as a result? Man, I love this. I'm forgiven. Come on, as a result of confessing Christ, I am forgiven. Say with me immediately. God forgives me immediately. I can never be more saved than the day I gave my life to Christ. Come on, I am totally saved. Now, the sanctification process needs to take place of the cleansing and some things, but I'm saved immediately when I give my life to Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sins are washed away forever, removed forever. That's the scripture that I quoted earlier. Psalms 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, He has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. We become a child of God. I'm a child of God. Come on, I'm a child of God. He gave us the right of those who received Him to become a child of God. Those who believe in His name. We have a brand new start. Aren't you glad that you can have a new start in God? Aren't you glad that God is not a God of a second chance? Blew that one a long time ago. God's a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. Because if we confess as the enemy says, oh, you've done that before, God, no, 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 no. God will forgive you as much today as he has ever done before. He'll remove your sins. He'll make you new. He's not sitting there going, all right, here they go again. I know what's going to happen next week. God's going to forgive you and love you just as much as if it's your first time that you have ever done it. And he's praying in heaven that it sticks this time. Come on. He's praying that you just grab a hold of it with everything. You've got a brand new start. I love this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If there's a good scripture you need to memorize, this is a good one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. What's that mean? Dead. Passed away. They passed away. What does that mean? They died. Old things are dead and gone. And behold, all things have become new. What else do we have? Abundance of life. I have come that you may have life abundantly. He's come to give us eternal life. That's the reward. One day we're going to be with him in heaven. We're going to be with him. He's going to come back and give us because we will not perish but have eternal life with him. So the sin debt has been totally paid by the shedding of his blood. Now you and I have the opportunity to accept him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And in choosing to accept Him, we live a life that is now pleasing to Him and a life that is changed by Him. So again, what's my responsibilities? What is it that I am required to do in my life? I'm required to realize that there's always going to be a problem that's facing me that's called sin. No temptation has overtaken you except is common to man. Everyone faces the same temptations. But what do I do? I accept that I'm a sinner. I accept that I cannot save myself. That's what that confession is. It doesn't say I'm a failure. It says I cannot save myself. But what I can do is I can receive God's solution and forgiveness through Jesus. And I can believe and receive His free gift of salvation. So what happens when I get saved? 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Should I feel guilty about my past, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why am I called born again? Because of the very thought of it. It's a new life. It's like you're breathing for the first time, new breath, a new life. That you are born again. You have another opportunity. You now have another chance. What kind of life am I promised when I give my life to Christ? A life of fullness. A life of surplus. A life of abundance. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I have towards you. Thoughts of peace. A future of hope. Being a Christian means living a victorious life in Christ. It means the head and not the tail. It's victory over the curse of sin. It's future and hope. And according to Matthew 17 or 7 verse 13 and 14, it may be a narrow gate and sometimes a difficult way. And there may be few that find it. But it's a pathway to life. Jesus never promised it would be easy. But he promised, Hebrews 13, 5, I'll be with you and I'll be a companion through the journey. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So listen to me, Christianity is not about religion. It's not about a set of rules. A lot of people say, well, Christianity is about do this and do that. No, it's not. Christianity is about leaving those things that I don't need in my life and focusing on the liberties and the freedom. Because it's not a case of things that I don't have to do. I don't want to do those things anymore. Because he changes my desires and my appetites. And that's something constantly that we need to trust him to do. It's about relationship with God. It's about a daily walk of growth and transformation. Come on, it's about a life that he saves us from death. And now he offers us the best life that we could ever have. What are we talking about? God solved the problem once and for all. As long as we will choose God. Choose God. Choose God. So why the wayside of lack of understanding? Tonight you know who God is. Tonight you know his plan for mankind. Tonight you know what happened as a result of sin and how Satan tried to steal that. But tonight you also know that a redeemer, a savior came and he solved the problem that once again the plan that God has for mankind can be reestablished, reaffirmed and can be given to every one of us that we can experience the life that God has. Because what Satan tried to destroy, he could not do. Why? Because God is greater than. And a life that was made to be eternal now is eternal. Not physically, but spiritually. That we will live forever, either in a heaven or a hell. And I pray tonight that you choose heaven. That you choose God. So tonight you've got understanding, you can give scripture, and you can help people. Amen. Let's pray. Just bow your heads. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.